Mac Power Users, Episode 81, Workflows with Brett Terpstra. Hello, friends. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And Mr. Terpstra, welcome back to the Mac Power Users. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much. David, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you said that quite right. What? Isn't it Terpstra? I can't do it. No, it's on the first syllable. It's Terpstra. Terpstra. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, Brett is back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had Brett on the show a few times in the past uh, talking about some of the nerdy stuff he does. And it just seemed a natural fit that we needed Brett in to talk through his whole workflow. Uh, Brett... Uh, you know, Brett, I don't even know if I know all the things that you do. I know you work for AOL. You do a lot of the back-end web stuff for them. Um, you've made this amazing marked app. Um, you did NVAlt, for which I thank you every day. And, man, God, there's so much stuff you've done on your Mac. Yeah. <laughs> More than I could probably detail in one show. Yeah, well, you know, you're known as the mad scientist of the Mac community because... You just come up with stuff. I mean, I used to joke about it, but if I have a problem, I just send you an email, and five minutes later, I get a script back. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you know you're a software developer and a smart, very smart web guy. But it seems to me you've taken an interesting tact to all this, in that uh, you're looking at automation and just tools to just make using your Mac easier. And I think there's a lot of people doing that. You know, Dr. Drang does that. Mac Drifter does that. You know, there's, there's several people like you out there. Uh, but I really appreciate what you bring into the community. And it's very interesting. Like when you did those text expander snippets uh, for the, uh, the markdown stuff, that stuff's awesome, you know? So anyway, I'm a big fan of yours. And, Thank you. Uh, I'm really glad that you came on the show. But uh, if, if anybody doesn't know about Brett, uh, start over at Brett Terpstra. Is it dot com? Yep. Yeah. So start over at brettterpstra.com and you can get a list of all the the projects Brett is working on in addition to his day job. And uh, and having worked with you over at MacWorld this year, we did that that forty tip session together. Uh, I just have so much respect for the the kind of stuff you do. I thought what we do before we get into your specific workflow, however, is talk a little bit about how you got to this place. Um, we have a lot of listeners that write in saying, "Hey, you know, I want to learn how." to do some of these cool tricks, you know, what do I need to learn? Okay. Well, it started when I was six. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> my dad brought home the uh, IBM PC Junior. Uh, my dad's a, a mechanical engineer who does a lot of AutoCAD and drafting, and that's why he brought it home. But I ended up kind of commandeering it uh, with uh, Basic and Logo and King's Quest 1. And... Uh, I don't know. I started just figuring things out and that's kind of how we've always done it. I don't do well with, uh, with books. I do better with the index of the book and then just doing whatever looks interesting. Um, and I only learn by doing things, but I kind of, I ran a BBS in, in late middle school, high school, um, always built my own PC computers. And then ultimately Went to a computer science, uh, went for a computer science degree at the University of Minnesota, where I lasted about a year, failed calc, I'm not good at math, uh, and then decided to go to art school, 
And that ended up, I went for an interactive multimedia degree and that, uh, that went really well. Uh, programming in flash and director and everything that was cool at the time. Uh, I got, I don't know, really good at algorithms, really good at, at things that I might not necessarily have learned in a more structured computer science environment. And, uh, and then once I got out in the real world, I, I started a business, I did design work, uh, and eventually the coding actually became of more interest to me than the design work. And from there, I kind of, it was a progression of, I wrote Mood Blast, was my first Cocoa app, uh, where you could just pop up a HUD and type your message and it would go to Facebook, Twitter, Jaiku, everything else that was available at the time. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. and I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Um, and that was kind of the launching point because that got me some job offers, uh, people that were curious about what I was doing. And eventually I worked with, uh, I worked with AOL. I was writing for Tua, uh, before I closed that business and that's the unofficial Apple weblog. Correct. And, uh, and that turned into, I was hacking on their CMS and everything and trying to do workflow improvements there. And they eventually offered me a contract position doing that. Um, and then over a course of a year or so, I worked part-time with, uh, Agile Bits, which was amazing. Great company. Um, yeah. but then, isn't it amazing how like every time I meet somebody who's really smart, they're like doing something for Agile. <laughs> they really know how to go find the talent. They do. You got to hand it to Dave, you know? Oh man. Jeff that works there. Smartest guy I've ever met in my life. But anyway, Oh, you sh- you're, you're, you're like the third person that's told me that. I think I need to meet this Jeff guy. Oh, yeah. Follow him on Facebook um, because the articles that he writes and the comments he makes will just blow you away. He's yeah. smart. Uh, but I went from there, and then they offered me a full-time position at AOL, and I'm now a tech lead, which is kind of a manager position for the team that runs Engadget and Tua and Joystick and Massively and others. And that's where I'm at now. And I work from home and I love it. So what do you do is, is what, what is a typical day like for you? What, what um, kind of things are you doing? A lot of uh, JavaScript and uh little PHP. And uh, like from this manager position, I kind of oversee, I don't know if you saw the new live blog system we built. Um, we had a coding marathon, Joe Bartlett and I at uh, CES. And that eventually turned into uh, what people quickly called a breakthrough in live blog platforms, uh, ground up with the help of the Blogsmith team. Uh, Just instant updates, uh, separate pictures from text, and keep a timeline that syncs together. And that's mostly JavaScript on our side, and it's a lot of hours of hacking. So it seems like you started out more of the computer science in shifted more into the design in with more of a, an, an art type degree and was doing, uh, and, and certainly there's a lot of science and behind it with, with the flash and things like that. But then you shifted back into, into coding and something that's, I, I guess you could call it more of a, more of a science, but how, how did you actually figure out? I mean, when you were, when you were getting your, your degree, did they teach you things like PHP and AppleScript and Objective-C, or is that something that you had to go back and figure out on your own? Oh, I figured all that out on my own. 
Nothing, yeah. nothing as far as languages, nothing I learned in high school or college is applicable to anything I do today. Yeah. And well, that, that's not don't unusual. go to school, kids. <laughs> Honestly, I could have skipped college. It was fun, but I mean, I spent a year with a punk rock band touring the country and never touched a computer. And like, I didn't miss it all that much. But then, you know, I got back into uh, doing my own coding and everything. And if college was fun, but I, I could have skipped it. And and getting jobs would never really have been a problem. AOL was the first company that ever cared if I had a college degree and they didn't care what it was in. Just that you had it. Yeah. I'm a you know, my, I've got a fifteen year old and we're starting to talk about college and I, I definitely want her to go to college, but at the same time I was telling her, you know, it's just gonna be a question of when you get out. What are you capable of and how flexible and agile are you? I, I don't think it's like it used to be where you just got this degree and you went and started cranking widgets. Now you've got to be really smart and thinking almost to the point where I'm thinking maybe a liberal arts degree is, is the way to go just to learn how to think more than anything else. But I guess that's kind of beyond the scope of the show. I think a lot of it depends on what you want to do. Obviously, David, if you want to do what we're doing, you've got to have a, a little more background. Well, I think even to be a lawyer, um, getting an undergraduate degree and just something that teaches you how to write and think is, is probably the best thing you could do. Oh, but, absolutely. Brett, you know, going back when you were talking about, you got the IBM and you started programming basic, how many of us nerds started with, you know, 10 print hello? <laughs> yeah. I, I would assume everybody does, but I, I don't know what it would be like to grow up today and, and have kind of, you know, the power that we have available now. If I could have started by playing with Xcode, it would be I'd it'd be a whole different story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In, in some ways it was easier for us because we were at like level 1 and the computer industry was at level 1. Well, I think you both grew together. Yeah, we and now together. the the kids today, but you know the, the people coming into it today, the computer is at level 10, at least it feels like it, and they're at level 1, but but then again, I mean, it was so much easier. When I was working with an Apple II, I was learning assembly code, and it was really, really bananas. I mean, I <laughs> I don't really remember any of it now, frankly, but it, it it was a lot of work. And now it's like, oh, you want to make a dialog box? Just drag this out here and add your buttons. And exactly. <laughs> I just can't get over it. I and mean, I, I, I think if, if kids uh, today are going into computer science, they'll probably take them back and They'll probably have to go through Turing machines and assembler and everything, but um, but yeah, it's it's a totally different world where memory management. If if you don't learn the basics of pointers and memory management, uh, you you never actually have to see it. It's it's important that you do, but you could build entire applications without ever being conscious of you know what was being re- uh, retained and released and interesting stuff. So what do you think of the changes in Xcode um, now that we've got this new version out and Apple seems to be kind of coming along with memory management? I think it's great. Um, I think it, it's it's improving the overall application scene uh, because a lot of uh, the less experienced among us, which would include me in most languages, um, I, I, it, it's taking a lot of the burden off of us 
And like I said, it's important to understand what it's taking off of you. But yeah, the, the all applications seem to be rising as the ocean of Xcode rises. All right. Now, are you is marked in the current version of Xcode, or are you still back? Uh, it's uh, the last version, uh, or 1.4, which will be released on Monday. Uh, today is Sunday. Um, it will be entirely, it is entirely compiled in the new Xcode. And, and for those who are actually listening to this podcast when it's released, it was released last week then. Yeah, and it's really, really good, so you should go get the update yeah. if you haven't. Um, that that may give us a, a good segue. You, you've got several projects out, Marked being uh, in the Mac App Store now, and then you have several other projects that you've worked on. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, before you go on, what, tell us what Marked is, because I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. Sure. Um, Marked is uh, Markdown. Uh, uh, yeah, see, now it gets complicated because I've expanded it, but... In essence, it's a markdown preview that allows you to use any editor and it watches the file you're editing and automatically updates your markdown preview as you go. It now handles all kinds of advanced syntax. Um, it handles LeanPub format, which is a, an online publisher that lets you build index files out of text and then include multiple files. Uh, Mark works with Scrivener now. Mark works with any custom processor, so you can make it work with Textile or Pandoc or just about anything, restructured text. Yeah, this, um, this Scrivener thing, it really is amazing. So you just drag a Scrivener file onto Marked, and you get a full preview of the of the document. Yeah, with a few options for showing you know, titles as headers or ignoring them. and Yeah, it's I'm, I'm really psyched about it. And for those in people fact, who aren't familiar with what we're talking about and don't know what this markdown or multi-markdown thing is, we've, we've done a couple of shows where we've covered it, so you may want to check the back catalog. We'll probably throw links to those in the show notes. I was going to mention the, the Scrivener guys actually got in touch with me, and they're excited about it, too. Um, they're, we're exchanging code and whatnot, so it's it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Keith is the guy at Scrivener, and and he's always been eager to collaborate with other software people. I mean, he was one of the first to collaborate with Fletcher Penny on multi-markdown and incorporate it into his app. Yes. That's a great fit for you. You guys are going to be making some good stuff together, I'm sure. And Fletcher and I are working uh, together quite a bit right now on even improving multi-markdown, but exchanging work on apps that we both have in progress. And it's great working with him. I love it how all these these people who are bringing so much to the table all know each other and work together. It's you know we're just so lucky as Mac users. I don't think this culture lives on the PC. I, I don't think there is a guy like Brett Terpstra and Fletcher Penny, uh, you know, on the PC. They just you know they're just coming up with these cool automation tools, sharing it freely with the public, and uh, you know it it just doesn't exist. I think you're right. But it's been so long since I've actually used a PC. And I don't know where the software community is at with that. But historically, definitely, the tools weren't there and the creativity wasn't there. And the interaction between developers really hasn't been as great since it was in the early shareware. Back when you'd get a three and a half inch floppy with, you know, 50 shareware programs on it. There was a little more communication back then, but seems to have fallen by the wayside. It just seems to me like people don't care. Well, that yeah. that brings us to an interesting question. How did you get moved over from the PC to the Mac? Oh, I was I was very uh anti-Mac 
for quite a while growing up. Uh, and then OS ten came out. So you didn't and, really convert until OS ten. Right. Uh, I started using it at an early job that I had uh, as an art director. And they gave me a Mac and said, this is what art directors use. And it was in the first week I had it, I discovered that it had a Unix subsystem. And I could do anything that I used to love about Linux. I could do it on the Mac. And I instantly fell in love because everything about it was better looking uh, smoother to use, and then shortly after I left that job and started uh, started the design business, I bought everyone Max, and I never went back. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about Mart. You, you've got another product that's very popular, and that's Envy Alt. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, that's based uh, on notational velocity by Zachary Shirnov, um, and he 90% of it is his work. But what, what I added originally was a more advanced markdown preview, uh, which was also based on other forks, and then just started expanding from there, and eventually it got some recognition, which gave me the inspiration to keep expanding it. And then I brought uh, David Halter, known as Elastic Threads, uh, we merged our forks, and and now it's a joint project. And yeah, it's it gets more downloads than just about anything I've ever had, and it keeps getting press. And I'm constantly amazed at the fact that there are still people out there who haven't heard of it because it's been so widely uh, covered in the press. But the downloads stay steady. It, it's uh, increasing in popularity every day. And this is this is all free for people to download. Right. Yeah. And, and Zachary never charged for notational velocity, so I never felt that we could charge for NV-Alt. And, and that's fine. Um, it's really, if we were to put NV-Alt in the Mac App Store, it would have to be in, uh, in tandem with Zachary, and, and he would, he, uh, he'd get 80% of the check. So... I'm, I'm waiting for him to agree to something like that, but we'll see. You know, I, I know I would pay for it because I use that thing every day. So, so NVAlt is a way to keep a bunch of text files organized and quickly access them. And you can search the whole database. And um, I think I've got probably 600 text files ranging from everything. And I've talked about this on the show before, but NVAlt is the primary tool for that on the Mac. I'm really bad at those elevator pitches, I guess. I always forget that everyone doesn't well, know. It's a good assumption that most people listening to this show already know about most of your work because, you know, we're all nerds here. But the uh but some people won't. And it, so in VL, it's just really amazing. So like when I have conversations for each case I work on as an attorney, I have a little text file with the key information in it. And it's dumb things like the case number, the judge, the other lawyer's name. And I know that you can manage a lot of that stuff with high end software. I could set up a bento database. I could do all these things, but I just like to keep a simple text file because it's so customizable. You can write anything in text. And one of the things I do is I have a thing called a com log. And so when I talk to someone and it's a material conversation about something, I have a little text expander snippet I write that puts in the date and time string. And underneath I just take a few bullet notes and I write everything in Markdown because a preview is Markdown. And I take a few bullet notes of what we talked about. And then, 
you know, five months later when I say, oh yeah, back in, in April, we talked about this. It scares the hell out of them that I know, you know, well, but, it's when they say, I don't think we ever mentioned that. And you can say, actually we did on April 13th. Yeah. That makes a huge difference in business. Uh, that kind of log is, is exactly what I use NBL for myself. And because it's text, it syncs ridiculously fast. Now, how do you sync your NVL data over to iOS? I use Dropbox. Okay, so there's 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 really two schools of thought on this. You can do it with SimpleNote or Dropbox. And SimpleNote is what I used for ages. And SimpleNote is a web-based text service. And they were one of the first ones to um, com- combine with Notational Velocity. Notational Velocity syncs to the simple note database. So if you pay, I think it's like $20 a year to have the, you know, the full service from simple note and they have an app for the iPad and the, the iPhone. So for the longest time, that's how I did it. I just used the simple note app along with the, um, in a notational velocity or later in Alt on the Mac. And it works great, but I found a couple things. I, I, I'm not really happy with the pace of simple note. They've really never, made the the iPad and the iPhone app that good in my opinion it's just you know they're stuck with one font and you know there's a lot of things not to like about it um, but it does have full search of all the the notes um, recently I've switched over to like you using Dropbox to sync my NV alt data just to a Dropbox folder and then I'm accessing that from notesy on my iPad which is the one I'm currently using. And it seems to be working okay for me. I gave up a few features with Simple Note, but Notesy's pretty darn fast, and uh, and I'm pretty happy with that experience. Yeah, well, it, I was Simple Note because it was it was fast and it was really fast to search on on iPad. But then, bam! All these uh, all these text editors started coming out for iOS, and I needed a data system that was more agnostic that I could uh, jump between. I have fickle tastes, especially on iOS, and I could jump between editors and and edit my notes from you know five different apps without ever uh, having conflicts or or dealing with sync issues. So Dropbox became uh, my primary choice for much the same reason. So which uh, text editors are you currently using to sync this stuff on your iPad and iPhone? I'm really liking Notely, uh, but Notesy is also awesome. Elements. I don't know if I could narrow it down to it. Yeah, I know. Plain text is. <laughs> when I wrote the iPad at work book, I ended up recommending like 10 of them because they're all like special little children. You know, I love them all. And they all have different things that they're really good at. And, and there isn't like one that, that answers all the questions. And, and frankly at between three to $10, why not buy several of them and yeah. use them all? So well, and, what if I'm looking for a text app for like iOS or, or, or the Mac and, you know, I just really don't know what I want. Is, is there like some place I can go to figure that out? Well, by golly, there is. Oh my goodness. Um, Who would have thought? At, at least for right now, it's only iOS. Uh, I need to add a, a criteria section, but I built a table that compares features across every known iOS text editor. And uh, it's at it's at brettterpshire.com slash iOS dash text dash editors. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Needs to be shortened. It's it's called iText editors. Um, but I, that's only because it takes a really long time to say iOS text editor comparison. Um, 
But yeah, that that if you're looking for a text editor, that one has a chart that will show you feature comparisons for all of them, plus up to date live actually app store info for each one. And yeah, and it covers everything from like long form writing apps to quick note taking apps and but there's a range. What I think is almost even more remarkable than the fact that you've put all this together is how you did it. Because this isn't just a you know a table that you've put together in HTML. In fact, I'd like you to tell us if you if you don't mind spilling some of the secret sauce here, how you did it. Because I can actually, for example, I can click on let's say two of my must-have features for iOS text editors are Dropbox support and iCloud support. So I can click on the headings of Dropbox and iCloud, and it will immediately go through and highlight all of the iOS text editors that have Dropbox and iCloud support so that they stand up from the cloud or stand up from the crowd rather. Or I can go Uh, and say, okay, okay, well now I only want those that have Dropbox, iCloud and text expander support. And then it narrows those criteria down even further. And I can just see that they are one, two, three, uh, I think three different apps, by the way, they're by word, IA writer and, and scribe that have those criteria met. How did you put this together? Um, well, it's all from scratch. It's based on jQuery. The table itself is actually an unordered list, which got complicated, but less complicated than trying to script a table. Um, and basically, I just, one piece at a time, started adding features and uh, pushing them out as soon as they were stable. And I don't know, I have a lot of favorite kind of tricks in here, but they're all detailed at the top. There's no Easter egg. Um, yeah, I, I mean, unless you want me to no. break it down. Into- <laughs> no, it, it's, it's remarkable. It's very cool. The, cool. the cool part of it is the build system behind it, because I've got it to a point where the whole thing's stored in a Google Doc spreadsheet. Okay. And someone, someone can submit a new editor or a correction to an existing editor. I can go in and X a uh, cell in the spreadsheet and then hit a button or type out build. And it will grab the spreadsheet uh, through curl. It will process the CSV file into an array, and it will build this whole table, process all the markdown in the template, and output a single compressed HTML file that then just SCPs up to the server. So I can literally edit the spreadsheet and have changes live in about 30 seconds. Like I said, offline, you are a witch. (laughs) No, th- this is really amazing. I, I've i never seen anything like this. And being a nerd and really into text editors, this is going to be a constant resource for me. So I really appreciate you doing it. But So you can just go into Google Docs and, and flip a switch somewhere and change this table. Yeah, and, and it is constantly being updated. Uh, people write in and say, you know, this actually doesn't have this feature or we actually need this column as well, you know, more criteria and... It's easy to add. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be updated for as long as I'm able to. And that's a new thing. I mean, you've just done that in the last few weeks, really. I just did that last weekend. Yeah, amazing. It started out crowdsourced. I basically just made an open spreadsheet that was shared and let everyone just add their favorite editors and check off features. And then that's where it began. 
And then people started deleting things and got, it was messy. So then I made it private and people submit now. So it's crowdsourced. Yeah. You needed a sheriff at some point. Yeah. Well, this is great. Uh, we're definitely putting this in the show link. So if you're trying to figure out what your right text editor is, this is the place to go. Yeah, why can't and, you know, it's funny the app store figure out some kind of filtering method? That would be nice. I don't think they care that much. Yeah, you <laughs> honestly, probably, they probably don't. Just They're buy a bunch busy. of stuff and give us your money. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, try, try them all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but also it's just you know these are very detailed issues that a lot of people aren't going to care about, but but those of us that do are going to care intensely. And, and I really like the just the the overall design. I've never seen a table where like when you scroll, the titles scroll with you. The the selection methods to filter it down. It's just it's just amazing work. And so you did all this on your Mac uh, yeah. with your with your web uh, chops, basically. Yeah. Nice. Hey, you know we should talk about a sponsor. Yeah. And this show is exclusively sponsored by our friends at Smile. And I just wanted to talk briefly about this new app from Smile, PDF Pin, for the iPad. Uh, Katie, have you been using it? I use it all the time, David. I got this uh, great manuscript that I've been working on recently, and I've been pulling it up with PDF Pin on the iPad and uh, making all kinds of edits with this uh, This very cool. Have you tried this Cosmonaut stylus? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I love nice. that. And it's so nice to be able to take um, my iPad out, whether I want to do it on the sofa or in the or in the coffee shop, or just kicked back at my desk at work, or just anywhere, as opposed to having all of this paper just scattered around somewhere and, and killing a whole bunch of trees. To pull out my iPad, pull up a PDF on my iPad, open it up with PDF Pen, pull down the the PDF because it's automatically synced with iCloud and make any kind of change that I want. And they've got all of these, these proofreading symbols are already built in, so I can just drag and drop and pull them down. Or if something doesn't quite make sense and I want to come back to it, I can highlight it and perhaps make a note in the margin or, or add a comment. Or I can just draw right on it. If I want to draw a silly face or draw an arrow to something or point at something, I can do that too. And then I can um, you know, just export it out and email it directly from within PDF Pen to the people that I'm collaborating with and all right from my iPad with ever, without ever exporting back to my Mac or even getting out of my chair, really. It's awesome. Well, and even more than that, they are the first company to really get iCloud for PDF because Smile's the only company that has a robust PDF application both on the Mac and on the iPad. So when you flip that iCloud switch, it's remarkable. Um, I, I look at PDFs, you know, maybe because of my job. I spend a lot of time every day in PDF documents and contracts and, and things like that. So uh, it's always been kind of a point of friction for me, even though we had Dropbox, you know, to go and work on a PDF on the iPad. And then I've got to go through the sync process uh, with, you know, one of these big apps where it syncs all your files. And and then you got to go back to your Mac and make sure the sync is complete. And you know you can have conflicts. And there's just all kinds of, of pain and suffering that can come with that Dropbox sync. And granted, it's, it was awesome, and it, it's great that you could do it at all. But the iCloud sync really fixes all of that because iCloud is, is immediate for the document that you're working on. I can have it open on both the Mac and the iPad at the same time, and there's not going to be a conflict. 
But what I find the best use for it is when I'm sitting in the back of a courtroom or at the coffee shop or hiding somewhere uh, away from the office, I can have access to all my, what I call my hot documents. The stuff I'm really working on is in this PDF iCloud sync and it just immediately is there. And I, I just really dig that. Right. You can pick up PDF pen for iPad. It's in the app store for $14.99. Or if you want to pick up PDF pen for your Mac, you can get the regular version is $60 or the pro version is $100. And PDF pen for Mac will give you some additional features such as using that iCloud sync to sync documents back and forth with your Mac. And you have some additional features such as being able to uh, redact, being able to OCR. And with the pro version, you can convert websites and pull them all down to PDF, create table of contents and organize your PDF documents and even create PDF forms. So it's an yeah. awesome suite of software. Yeah, If you are like a mobile worker and you deal with PDFs and you've got a Mac and an iPad, I can't think of really a better way to manage PDFs than the, the combination of PDF pen for Mac and PDF pen on your iPad. The iCloud sync really is that good. So we want to thank Smile for their support of Mac power users and uh, check out PDF pen. All right, uh, Brett. So, what kind of gear do you use? I know you're making all this great stuff, and you're working at home. So, uh, what kind of Mac are you driving? Well, I've got a Mac Pro, and it's not a super powerful one. It's uh, provided by my day job at AOL, actually. Um, but that's where I do most of my work. Um, and then I have a MacBook Air that is mine, and I love it. And it's oh man, it compiles art for example, faster than my Mac Pro. And then I have an iPad 2, an iPhone 4S, and a bunch of music gear. Yeah, and that's the two-year-old MacBook 13-inch, right? The MacBook Air. That's the one you had at Macworld? Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you surprised that you were able to get by on the 13-inch MacBook Air? Uh, I um I had a little bit of hesitation as to, am I going to be able to swap out my MacBook Pro for a MacBook Air? And that, now I'm just loving it, and I would never, ever go back. Yeah, it, it surprised me for sure. Um, I'd been a 17-inch MacBook Pro. I'd been through three of them, and I didn't think I could ever go smaller. And... The it was the air was just so sexy I couldn't <laughs> not try it. Yeah, and that was what happened to me. From the get go, it was perfect. All right, so we've talked about the, the using Xcode, but you do a lot of this stuff in the web. So I'm presuming you're using some pretty serious text programs. Yeah. What? Wh- where are you today? I, I I've been a long, long time TextMate fanatic. But um, I recently Sublime Text 2 kind of sparked my interest and uh, a lot, the entire iOS text editor page is done in Sublime Text 2 where I can just hit Command B and send the page off to the web uh, with all the template replacements and everything. I'm just not very good at Python, so I haven't done a lot of expanding it the way I did with TextMate. Um, But yeah, definitely... Sublime Text 2, Espresso for all of my CSS editing, and I still use TextMate for blogging and uh, a lot of the features that haven't quite been ported yet to Sublime Text. Uh, there are a few I just can't live without. So, You know, I've never worked with Sublime Text, so tell me a little bit about it. I mean, how does it compare to like BB Edit and 
TextMate. I honestly can't make a, a solid comparison to BB Edit because back in the old days, <laughs> a few years back, BB Edit and TextMate kind of had a very fierce uh, competition between their followings. And I was on the TextMate side and I was never going to try BB Edit. Uh, I have more recently, you know, tried it. But yeah, anyway, uh, Sublime Text, the API that the text editor provides for plugins to manipulate things is uh, it's tenfold more detailed than any other text editor. And that means that the plugins that you can get for it, the extensions are extremely powerful. Everything's written in Python, which I'm not good at yet, like I said, but um, but it's faster. It handles large files way better than any other editor. Um, it, it's, it lacks a few things, like no really good web preview, things like that, but Overall, it's extremely easy to navigate and use, and it's got BIM key bindings, and it's crazy good. So, so the largest percentage of your web program then is now is in Sublime Text. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's only been in the last couple of months. Uh, I gave it a try a few times, didn't really get into it, but same was true of TextMate for me. I I actually owned TextMate for a year before I ever started really coding in it, and Sublime Text is in the last couple months become my primary editor. Well, we talked about this on the uh, Power Text Editing show we did with you. I don't know, was it about a year ago now? Yeah. And you really are the reason why I never stuck with TextMate or BB Edit. And for, I like BB Edit the best, frankly, of those that I've worked with, but I'm probably the last person in the world you should ask because I'm not a high end uh, programmer. But with these these things you've released, these services where I can just plug in a bunch of this functionality until my, my byword, which is my favorite text writing app, um, you really kind of shortcut me in that process. So I blame you. <laughs> I I accept that. Yeah. And, and that then, was and the then, that was the goal behind a lot of that was to kind of take that functionality out from these huge, you know, code editors and bring it to Byword. And Byword's done a great job of kind of incorporating a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I needed something more agnostic because I don't like blogging in Sublime or TextMate. I like writing in Byword. And uh, it's like uh, to take it from Byword and then into TextMate and publish it to my blog, it just got to be a bit of a complex workflow for me. So I built services that let me do what I can do in TextMate, uh, about 70% of it right in Byword. Yeah, and we talked about that in a prior show, and I'm going to put a link in this show. So what Brett's done is he's created these services, which are kind of a a brew of different Apple scripts, and I guess there's some, what all is there in there? You've got some Apple script and... Some Perl, some, some Ruby. Perl. Yeah, so you've got all these different languages you you've used to create services on the Mac so you can just select text and do stuff to it. And some of them are just absolutely amazing. One of which is we'll say it's a you know there a lot of them are markdown oriented. One of them is take every link in the open Safari, every tab, and just create a markdown link for it in this document. And I use that every week when we do a show. I just keep a running list of tabs open in Safari. And when the show's over, I run that script and it yanks all of the 
<laughs> just yanks all of the URLs out of Safari, and then I'm well on my way for creating the show notes. Oh, wait, 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 you wait, 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 wait. That, that's cheating. If I knew it was that easy, I'd make you do something else. <laughs> well, it still is kind of a pain because we got to go through five by five. We got to actually copy and paste each one in a name, but yeah, we can't use Markdown for that with the, uh, the system they have. Oh, that's disgusting. Or, or maybe um, it's my lack of knowledge. I should probably talk to Dan about it. But <laughs> yeah, my favorite services right now are that one and the one that converts all inline Markdown links into reference style links. Yes. Um, which writing kit on iOS has adopted. Uh, I'm actually listed in the credits now. Um, but man, that app is crazy stuff, but yeah, uh, that and being able to grab Chrome or Safari tabs makes life way easier. Yeah. And that's going to be linked in the show notes. So if you do any kind of markdown stuff and you haven't downloaded this stuff, just stop the podcast right now and go download it. Is this the same work for, um, sorry. Is this the same workflow that you use for your blogging at the unofficial Apple web blog? Or do you use something uh, yeah. else with their custom CSS or CMS? Um, what the, the blogsmith bundle, uh, which you can find um, bundle.weblogzinc.com with a Z in weblogzinc. Um, that was actually originally designed to bring that kind of functionality to uh, the custom CMS, the blogsmith CMS that, that Tua and other AOL properties use. So I basically made it possible to do anything that I do in any blogging platform with that CMS. Not by It can't do it by default, but bloggers can go in now and actually paste Markdown straight into that CMS and have it converted in place uh, from any computer, whether you have services installed or not. So yeah, I've, I've, I made that work. I'd like to get some numbers on Mac users and... Markdown users, you know, when we did that show on Markdown the first time, and I don't know, that might have been a couple of years ago. Brett, you weren't part of that. I think it was just me and Katie, right? That Markdown show, Katie? Mm, I think we brought Fletcher Penny in at the end. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, nobody had heard of it. And it's crazy. I mean, you go to Macworld, everybody is writing a Markdown now. It has picked up huge popularity just in the last year. Yeah. Great. Well, um, and, and so you're imp- implementing it on the server side for the blogging platform. Uh, Squarespace does that as well. That's the blogging platform I use for Max Sparky. And I, I don't think I could go go back now if they wanted me to p- submit stuff in HTML, even though it's really easy with the, the tools like Marked to export an HTML file. I just like writing in Markdown so much. Absolutely, yep. Brett, how has the um, iPad and the iPhone changed your workflow? Um. Well, for me, because I work from home and I live in a small town, I I don't use it out on the road much. Um, But, I mean, it's very handy when I am out. But uh, overall, the iPad is a supplement for me. Uh, I have no real reason to do any long-form blogging or any coding on my iPad. so I, I guess I would say it's enhanced my workflow, but I wouldn't say it's changed it in any substantial way. Okay. I do um, music, though. The iPhone and the iPad for music have been uh, a revelation. In what way? Uh, the, take, for example, uh, the keyboards available on the iPad. Uh, some of the synthesizers 
um, mini synth and, and, uh, synthtronica and then add in the ability to plug a guitar straight into, say, my iPhone and have endless guitar effects available. And then I can pipe that straight into a USB adapter on my computer and I can expand the 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 sounds available to me in, in GarageBand and Logic, I can expand those by, you know, three or four times. And I've loved that. I use it for metronome, I use it for tuning, I use it for effects, I use it for keyboard. I can plug my my uh forty nine key oxygen keyboard directly into my iPad using a line six and uh and Use MIDI to control the synthesizers on my iPad. It's they've been great. Yeah, I, I, I'm exactly in the same shoes with you. I use a MIDI keyboard, and for years I had this thing where I set up a little table and put a Mac next to it, and it was very complicated. And now I just plug in the I have the um, the MIDI to USB cable, and I just mm-hmm. plug that into the camera connection kit. Did you know you could do that? <laughs> I actually didn't. Yeah, just camera connection kit to USB to MIDI out on your keyboard and open up GarageBand and just watch what happens. Wow, I will do that. So I'm doing multi-track recording onto this iPad. And I don't know if I talked about it in the show before. When I was a kid, I was really into music. And we used to have these uh, Sears and Roebuck cassette recorders. And I had two of them. And I'd play along with one of them. I'd record, you know, then I'd play myself and then I'd record myself with the recording. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a ping pong. And, you know, by the time you got to like the third generation, the third recording, the first one was was gone, you know, (laughs) man, if I had these tools when I was a kid, I would have gone nuts. This stuff. Oh, no kidding. I had a Tascam Porta Studio four track that I literally wore out. It just bread bear. Um, but I'm, I kind of miss tape sometimes. I do not miss the noise bed at all, but I don't know. There's the same, I guess the same argument people make for vinyl. I just, I really enjoyed the more tactile, but the, the things that I can create now are far beyond the possibilities of a little four track cassette recorder. So I'm not complaining. So you said you toured with a, a punk rock band. What kind of music do you do now? I do uh, more uh, folksy. I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of if you took country and mix it with industrial, that might get you close. I think I have to hear some of it. Yeah, I've been doing a little more rock and roll lately. I just got my first electric guitar this year. I guess last year. Um, I've I've been playing acoustic and, and electric bass for a long time, but I'm just now getting into actually doing some rock and roll. Nice. And then what apps do you use for your music? I use uh, Logic Pro, uh, but I found that GarageBand for, for scratch pad kind of whipping out a, uh, an idea is, uh, is an amazing tool. And beyond that, like I said, a lot of iPad and iPhone apps. Yeah. I so I I find GarageBand on the on the iPad to be pretty remarkable. I it, really it, just, it just keeps getting better every time they have an update. Something else amazing happens. I like to play a lot of like fifties jazz with these really weird chords, you know, diminished thirteen, blah blah blah. And 
you can actually put those chords in there. It, it lets you cook up just about any chord you want for the background. Yep. It's, it's very impressive. And now that there's better uh, parity between iOS and the Mac versions of both Logic and GarageBand, uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of record on the iPad and then mix on the Mac. Exactly. That, and that's kind of what I do too. I use the MIDI recording into the iPad, like I was talking about earlier. And then I just put the file on my iMac and then I've got the processing power of the iMac and probably some more voices and, and different things I can do at that point. Well, in space, I find a, a mouse makes a lot of difference for me when I get down to selecting audio and whatnot. Yeah. Selecting yeah. sample sections and Hey, we need to do uh, another ad spot for our our friend and yours, uh, Text Expander at Smile Software. Um, we've talked about this app before. Text Expander really is <laughs> it's an amazing app. I just put a post today at Max Sparky. Uh, one of our listeners wrote in and wrote a Text Expander snippet to create random names using just a very basic Apple script where it just selects a random letter. Uh, following up on a tip we had last week about giving random names to files before you share them. So it's harder for bad guys to get them. I mean, it's not really the one password kind of security, but it, it allows you to create a quick random name. And he does this with an Apple script and text expander. I, I just can't get over all the things people do with this app. Um, and you in particular have added a lot of functionality to text expander with some of the amazing things you've done. Um, you've got your markdown snippet list at your website. We'll go ahead and, and put that in the show notes. Um, and you did a bunch of stuff with Laura Mipsum also with text expander. <laughs> is that stuff still up on the web? I don't know if that's up or not. It is. Uh, some of it doesn't work anymore because APIs have come and gone. Um, but I, yeah, I got pretty nuts with the Laura Mipsum, even though I rarely actually use it. I had a lot of fun, uh, syncing up with all these different APIs and, you can use uh, Kitty Placeholder to put pictures of kitty cats <laughs> in as placeholder images, or you can uh, pull random texts using uh, Dr. Drang's algorithm. You can pull random texts from like 1984 or Alice in Wonderland and create really bizarre placeholder text. Yeah, but it's fun, yeah. and and all this stuff happens with Text Expander. So with Text Expander, you type a few letters, and it immediately replaces that with some predefined snippet of text. And you can use it for things like easy things like email signatures or boilerplate language that you use over and over again. Uh, you can use it to help you fill out forms on the web. Like uh, I type emac and that put, puts in my, my .mac email address. Um, you can do it for frequently used typos. Um, whenever I see these bloggers that write Macworld and they capitalize the W, mm. I want to send them a snippet, you know, to fix that for them. In fact, I, I believe there's a there's a snippet set that you can download that will help you correct uh, commonly miscapitalized words. Yeah, you know that's true in the in the Apple world. And I, who did that? Somebody was it Eddie Smith that did that, or maybe it no, was Sean I don't Blanc. Think it was it was somebody else. We'll find it and put a link in the show notes. Yeah, and the um, and you know you can put in date and time, like like I was talking about earlier when I'm using NV Alt, I type dot DTS and it puts a date and time stamp and everything. Um, I, I'd like to look over your shoulder, Brett, one day and see the kind of snippets you use for some of this stuff. I bet you've got some pretty <laughs> interesting ones. I have uh, I have a set now that uh 
gives me foreign language phrases because I, I have to deal with a lot of uh, international uh, IRC chats for my job. And most of them speak English as well as their native tongue. And sometimes just for fun, I like to say things in their native tongue, but I don't even have the keys on my keyboard to, to do it without, you know, three, three sequence combinations. Um, so yeah, I have, uh, I have a whole bunch of phrases where I can type it in English with a comma before it. And uh, as soon as I get a word in, it just replaces it with a foreign language snippet, stuff like that. I really like. So like if you type comma, uh, France, thanks. And it types mercy, right? Something like that. I just type like, yeah, basically if I type comma G welcome, it'll translate that to German for me. Yeah. Like nice. you're well, it translates it to your welcome in German. And- <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh man, that, that's a great idea. So you, you're using it as your universal translator to an extent. Yes. Uh, what other favorite oh. snippets do you have? Uh, file system snippets. I, I like that. I can type uh, uh, tilde quote apps and it'll give me a quoted version of my app support path. Um, which is great for for inserting into uh, risk, uh, support messages to my users, tell them where to find things without actually having to type the whole thing out. Sure. And I have snippets for user library, user scripts, uh, my odds and ends folder, and my coding folder, app support, PM bundles, etc. Um, and then all my Lipsum snippets, I like, but like I said, I don't use them. But my probably most used snippets are email signatures and things like my TrustFax phone number and my Skype and cell numbers and things that I need to give people quickly, especially in chat. Um, and like the support website for Marked, I can just type comma, comma, NMS, and it'll print out the address for that. And I can whip that out in an email or a chat in seconds. Yeah, and you could probably also use it for just support questions and, mm-hmm. and email responses for Mark Debit. Yeah, it, it's really an amazing app. It's a thirty-five dollars, uh, thirty-four ninety-five, uh, and you can get it on your Mac, uh, and that's the Mac version. You can get it on your i iPhone or iPod Touch or your iPad for four ninety-nine. That's a text expander for iOS, and everything syncs up using Dropbox. So your library automatically syncs between the two devices. So if you come up with some amazing snippets and then you're on your iPad, as long as it's a supported app, not all apps supported, uh, you can but go ahead good and just type do. that out. Yeah. If and they, you go, and they, if you go to smilesoftware.com slash text expander slash touch slash apps, you can see a list of all the apps on iOS that support text expander. And that's a pretty good list these days. Yeah, it continues to grow. It's just a great idea. It's a great service to the community, frankly. In fact, that's one of the big columns on your big text editor roundup is you've got to see that it has text expander touch support. For me, it's a non-starter if it doesn't. Absolutely. Uh, But even if not, like let's say you have a company like, for instance, Apple, who's not supporting it in mail. Uh, You can write a response in the text expander app on your iPhone or your iPad and then from there, put it right into mail and create a new mail message, which is is probably worth it because you know it gives you the advantage of all those great snippets. You can find more information over at smilesoftware.com, and we want to thank Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. 
so, Brett, you mentioned that you work almost exclusively from home, and we've had a couple of listeners write in, as we've had other workflow guests who've talked about working from home, who want to hear more about that process. Perhaps they're exploring the idea of working from home, or they want to pitch it to their boss, or maybe they've just started doing it, but they're having trouble because they're not doing it very effectively. Um, how, how do you manage working from home and your, your real life commitments and actually, you know, getting work done for your employer and making them happy? Well, um, I guess first and foremost, I have a very single track, uh, mind, which helps a lot. Once I get into a project, everything else kind of fades away. Uh, even my motivation to work on other things fades away, but, uh, the spaces in lion uh, when I'm when I'm at my computer, I only open things like Twitter on the space to the furthest right, and I turn off dock notifications on everything except for mail and uh, and Adium, and uh, and everything else is in its own space. And the nice thing about working from home is you get a little more. In most jobs, you get a little more flexibility if your brain isn't in the task right now. Take a break, go to your Twitter page and or your Twitter space and, and just, you know, be social for 10 minutes and then come back. And you can't always do that in office jobs. So that flexibility, if you learn to use it uh, properly without getting completely distracted, uh, it's really nice for that. Uh, beyond that, I do... My MacBook Air makes it really easy for me to go to... I have three different spaces. One's a small desk with nothing on it. One's my large workstation, and one's actually outside in uh, in the Zen Garden we have. And switching spaces, uh, like actual locations, uh, really helps me get into different modes. Uh, one's for writing, one's for work, and one's for play. Um, and they mix and match a little bit. Uh, it's not completely set in stone, but it, just changing spaces helps me re reorient my brain and get on task. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Even if you sit in an office all day, you know, moving around uh, really does make a difference. And time slots. I give myself time slots. I'm, I I stop at five, you know, my day job, I I stop at five and I shut off chat and, uh, and only available by text message at that point. And then it's playtime. And, you know, whether I want to write or I want to code, I just, uh, it's a time division that helps me say, okay, this is what I should be doing at this time. And just a slight flexibility, but time and space divisions really help with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. More and more things are, the lines are getting blurred between work and, and not work, even for people who have more traditional jobs. Uh, you know, my my email dings regardless of whether I'm on the clock from nine to five. And a lot of times I have to answer it or respond because it's some kind of crisis at work. Um, you know, I've, I've thought about turning it off, especially on the, on the weekends or, or after five some days. And uh, I have a feeling my phone would be ringing off the hook pretty quickly if I did. I got a, I got a pimp sane box. Have you seen this? No. no. Uh, I got an invite from Matt Aravello, total guess on the pronunciation, um, and I believe he's affiliated with the project. Uh, but what it does is it takes your Gmail account 
and it automatically, and it does a really good job of it, it automatically figures out what's important right now. And that stuff goes to your inbox. Almost everything else goes into a sane later folder that you can check at the end of the day. And uh, there's a sane news folder where it pulls out all bailing lists kind of stuff and separates that out for you. And then you can set up your own boxes. Like I have one called sane after work. So when I get an email and it's, you know, it's a conversation that's not work related, but I do want to have, I just drop it into sane after work. And then at five o'clock, it pops it back into my inbox as a new message. And it makes it really easy to keep your, your inbox tamed and, uh, and not be at all distracted by things that aren't pertinent to what you're doing at the time. So yeah, I would check out SaneBox. If you get any quantity of email that's significant, definitely take a look at that. And that's a See, plugin is, specifically for Gmail? It's, a, it's an online service. Oh. Uh, it is specifically for Gmail, yes. Most people have Gmail accounts these days, so I could see it being useful for a broad spectrum of people. Yeah, and looking at the website, it looks like they have Microsoft Outlook support too, so maybe mm-hmm. it does more than just Gmail. Maybe it does. I, I've only used it for Gmail, so um, it may have further support than I'm aware of. There's a growing crop of these products that do that just this, where they filter your inbox for you. I think it's an interesting thing. Number one, it's interesting that f- people feel the need to get these services, which tells you kind of the state of email. And the second is is how many different ways people are trying to skin this cat. It's it's uh, it's very interesting. Yes, it is. And SaneBox is the first one I found that I actually trust. Um, I don't need to check my Sane later folder constantly to make sure that it didn't uh, misfile something. There are uh, there are Mac desktop plugins for mail and others that will do similar, but this one has been really impressive for me. I, I guess maybe it's just me. I, I don't have that much of a problem getting through the mail, but I don't do it that often. And when I go through it, I'm kind of brutal the way I do it. So, yeah, but. I've a, I've a, I've tried a few different strategies. Right now, I pretty much. Uh, I check it about every 30 minutes and, uh, like I said, I turn off doc notifications, so I'm not constantly tempted to check it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and no sounds or anything like that. I just, every 30 minutes or so I check it and, uh, reply to what needs to be replied to. I use mail tags to mark things that I want to respond to, but can't at the moment. And, uh, and that creates a smart folder for those. And I pretty much, I keep my inbox at zero. Uh, not because I subscribe to any particular philosophy, just because it's easiest for me to deal with things on that half hour all at once. Yeah. See, I'm like a couple times a day. I'm an email. I'm not there that often, but something that I found that was annoying me is in iOS, it's got that notification where you get the little, you know, flap at the top of the screen every time an email comes in. Oh, you can turn that off. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. I, I I found it the other day. I'm like, why am I looking at these things? And then it, it definitely sidetracks me. I'm sitting there writing something, and I say, oh, so and so wrote me. I got to deal with that. I just turn that off too. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to know. If you if you write me an email, it'd be very unusual that you get a response right away because I'm just not going to even know it's there. Yeah, I've learned yeah, if it's, I, if it's I, important, I let, call or text. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, uh, I let very few notifications get through on iOS. Uh, text messages because I don't get very many of them, but things like the New York Times telling me that uh, Romney won the Wisconsin primary, that's not stuff I need buzzing my phone and, uh, and, and I don't know, taking up space in both my brain and my notification screens. So, you know, that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. I, I want, because I know I cut my cable subscription and I feel like I'm, I'm missing some news. So I want to be alerted when something really, really important happens. So I, I kind of want to have push notifications of when there's news, but my definition of what something important happens and the news media's definition of when something important happens tends to be drastically different. Exactly. Exactly. I want to know that there was a big uh, earthquake in Mexico, but I don't need the, the 120,000 jobs in March notification. Exactly. You know, that yeah, stuff. Exactly. I'll, go, I'll go in and read I'll that. figure that out, yeah. I wish there were better filters on things like New York Times and AP. Yeah, I always recommend people just go through their notifications. They made it really easy with iOS 5 to go through and see exactly what you're getting and not getting. And uh, it takes five minutes and, and you will avoid a lot of distraction that way. Yeah, I particularly love it when I get waked up in the middle of the night because of some West Coast sporting event. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> that's 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 how AP got deleted off my phone. Yeah. But, uh, you, see, I don't have notifications from any of the news apps because I do have an RSS feed that I read once a day, and I figure that's enough. Right. Yes. And even if there is an earthquake in Mexico, I will eventually find out about it. I don't need my phone to tell me. My my occasional Twitter uh, moments keep me well informed on stuff like that. Yeah. So what, what's your Twitter app of choice? Because you do a on lot the, of that. Yeah. On the Mac, I pretty much exclusively use the official Twitter app. Uh, mm. It's I love Asfura, but it doesn't notify me of new messages in multiple accounts, only the current account. And I love the tabbed side tabs. The I believe those were actually Lauren Brichter's invention. Um, but I, I love the way I can see at a glance where my new at replies and direct messages are across three different accounts. Well, you know how um, you have a database of all the features in the various iOS apps. I actually have a database of how many times I run the show too long. I've got listeners actually send me <laughs> spreadsheets. <laughs> we're in a minute, we're at an hour and 20 and there's something that we have to talk about. So I want to switch subjects to it real quick. Nice segue though. Yeah. So Brett, tell me what are the little utilities that you use that you don't think about, but all of us would love to hear about. Mm, okay. Uh, looking at my menu bar right now, I have uh, Fantastical running, which lets mm -hmm. me uh, use natural language to quickly add and view uh, appointments and tasks. Uh, I have I Text Expander that. running. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I, I just switched to the Fantastical bandwagon, and I'm, I'm loving it. I like QuickCal, too, but Fantastical is just, I'm, I'm finding it smarter and faster. And it just uh, seems they like keep, they, they sweated all the little details. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Fantastical and QuickCal keep kind of leapfrogging uh, to to keep parity between the two, so it's often a tough choice. But um, and then I run uh, what's this one called? 
Um, I use it's it's what I use for pinboard. Oh, I really need to find the name of this because it's slipping my mind at the moment. Um, Deli bar, Deli bar is all day. Like it's it it's my Instapaper basically. I use Instapaper when I see an article, especially with stuff that I start to read, get two paragraphs in, and and have to stop. I'll mark it, and that's automatically imported then into my Pinboard account. But I use Pinboard for everything else, and uh, and Delibar is a great tool for that. Um, I use. Can I stop you right there for a second? Um, sure. So how sure. do you see Pinboard fitting? Uh, because I have a Pinboard account too, and I just threw the switch at Instapaper that copies anything I put into Instapaper to my Pinboard account. And I look at it as kind of like cold storage or an archive of everything that I found interesting, but I don't actively use Pinboard. I don't go to the website and do anything there. Oh, I do. I, uh, I, they have a great search and I pay for the full text search. So all of the sites I bookmark get uh, full text archives created and I can search. It's especially good when I know, like it always happens that I read an article on say a new jQuery plugin and then two days later, it comes up at work that we need something that'll do this. And I can just kind of type in part of the functionality in Pinboard and quickly find that page that I thought may be of interest someday. Um, and then I also use it as a read later list because it marks things as read or unread. Um, and I can go down and see what articles I bookmarked but haven't read yet. It also pulls in all of my Twitter links. Anything I send via Twitter or that comes through my account as a link gets a pinboard bookmark. Um, and there are a lot of ways to do all of this. The Mac app Faves, have you seen that? Yeah. That kind of brings together all of my Instapaper, pinboard, Instagram, everything into one big read later list that works really well for me. I'm going to have to look at Pinboard again because I, I really don't use it much. Uh, I mean, I use it in a sense of storage, but I don't go to the website. And I know you're always creating some some interesting plugins for it and some of the other uh, the apps that – well, I guess I wouldn't call them apps, but I guess internet plugins you've made for it. But you also made the really great Instapaper uh, plugin. What was that one called that you made for Instapaper? Instapaper Beyond. Yes, yeah. So you can, you gave us essentially keyboard shortcuts to fly through our Instapaper list on the website. Yep. Is, it's, that, uh, is it's, that still current? It's slightly broken right now due to uh, UE changes at Instapaper, but I was actually working on that this morning. Okay. So it, it will be back up to date soon. All right. What else? Um, what else Syner- are your little gems? Synergy. Uh, there are a couple apps called Synergy, but this is an older one that was updated for Lion recently, and it lets me put my MacBook Air on a on a laptop stand next to my my two large monitors. And uh, the way I have it set up, if I hold down the command key and hit the right edge of my large monitor, uh, my keyboard and mouse are suddenly controlling my MacBook Air, and I can drag clipboard and files between the two, and it makes it. Uh, it, it it combines the two computing systems for me, which I love. And then I run tags.app, uh, which is open meta tagging. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You have to be into it. There's a new app called Found that does such an amazing job of indexing everything, including cloud services like Google Docs, um, that you almost don't need tags anymore. Uh, you can find things so quickly with it. Um, 
but I still use I still use tags. I use the combination right now. Yeah, and we we and talked then, about this on a prior show with you, and just following up, I still have not got into the whole tagging routine. I've tried, I just can't get into it. Yeah, and I think it takes a certain uh, discipline and and personality type to to start, and it I don't know, it's a lot of work to get the initial tagging done and build a system that you can maintain. And while it works well for me, I don't, I don't know that it works well for everybody. So is found, is that a web service? I don't really get what they do. No, it's not officially released yet, but they've made the, the first beta release. Uh, it's a Mac app that basically replaces spotlight. It indexes your drive uh, with low latency and, uh, just creates metadata store for every file on your drive and everything in your Google accounts, Google Docs accounts. And when you press control control, it slides out from the left side of your screen. You type in a couple keywords and it sifts, it filters a list. Um, and then you can just, uh, just like spotlight, just maneuver down the list and open a file. It's got quick look previews for everything. And it's pretty sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the website and I'm, I'm very interested. <laughs> it looks good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mentioned it. I mentioned it in a tweet. Uh, I think it was Macworld. Yeah. It was, it was the last Macworld. I mentioned in a tweet that I just saw software that was so cool. It made me cry. And I was so frustrated that I couldn't talk about it because it was embargoed at the time. But uh, as it reaches public release, I'm going to start blogging about it a little bit more. Very yeah. Cool. I want in. <laughs> I'm making a note. <laughs> All right. What else, Brett? Anything else? Yeah, I, I'll give you a couple more. Uh, Dropler is my current favorite cloud file transfer service. One password, I think, is an obvious. If you're not running one password, you're crazy. Um, and then Aptivate it lets me assign multiple keystrokes so I can actually create sequences uh, for launching apps like. Uh, everything mail related launches off of F1 and then a letter key. Everything note related launches off of F2 and then a letter key. Hitting F2 twice launches NV Alt for me. Uh, that's a pretty cool app. And then fast. What, what was that one called? Aptivate. A P P T I. Aptivate. I've okay. never heard of uh, that one. It's a cool one. I learned about it from TJ at Tua. So do you use that instead of like an app launcher, or do you still use an app launcher? I use LaunchBar religiously. Okay. But this gives me uh, just really quick, you know, if I just want to hit one or two keys to launch an app, it's the way to way to go for me. I kind of, I don't know. It all works together into one muscle memory system for me. But And then the next one I was going to mention was Fast Scripts, which I can assign keyboard shortcuts to scripts that way. And I use it in much the same way as Aptivate, but with scripts. Yeah, we talked about that when we had Daniel on the show. Yes, yes, one of uh, one of Daniel's early projects. Um, and then Flux, have you like the one that changes your monitor color at night? No. F dot L U X. I love that one. In what way does it change your monitor cover? It changes the uh, the color temperature from. From bright white to, I think, like a 5,500 Kelvin. Oh, okay. Uh, that just ca- it yellows it a little bit. So once you, you, it knows when the sun sets and it makes your monitor 
a little more mellow, uh, which so your eyes adjust better to it. And I I find it absolutely perfect for late nights on the computer. You almost don't notice the change, but it is it's it's subtle yet powerful. And if you're going to be sitting at a screen all day, that's something you want to look into. Absolutely. Very cool. And I guess the last one I would mention out of the dozens running right now would be a new one I found called Visits, uh, which puts Google Analytics and all the information you would need from Google Analytics up in your menu bar, and you can configure what shows. But uh, it's great for seeing when there are surges in traffic on your website. If you run a website and use Google Analytics, it's an awesome tool. Highly recommended. That one is, uh, is that in the app store? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah, I don't run Google Analytics, so I'm okay. But <laughs> yeah. It's it, a it looks nice. Crowd. I'm looking at the screenshots. It's, it's a nice design. Yeah. Well, Brett, this has been fun. Thank you so much. You've been one of our most requested workflow guests, and I'm, I'm very glad that you could join us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I wish we had hours because I could tell you a ton more. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah, <laughs> this is- I think I could spend hours, frankly, talking to you about some of this stuff. I'm, I always learn new things when I sit down with you, Brett, and uh, I'm glad you're willing to share with the with everything you do, frankly. I mean, the, uh, the way you come up with these great ideas and just stick them out on the web uh, make you one of the good guys. I'm, I'm hey, sure thanks. we'll have you back to talk about a variety of different topics in the future. I'd be honored. So uh, where should people go to find everything about you? Uh, BrettTerpstra.com. That's three T's in the middle. <laughs> and, and that will have links to your, your Twitter and all of your projects. And, and that's just the one-stop yep. shop. Yep. All right. And everybody, if you're using Markdown and you haven't got marked app on your Mac yet, shame on you. Go get it. It's great. And that 1.4 version that just came out recently uh, is is going to blow your mind. It's yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Okay, everybody, uh, go check out Brett. And uh, Brett, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And you can find links to all of the wonderful software that we talked about in today's episode over at our website. That's over at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU with David's lovingly crafted show notes. You can also send us email at feedback at macpowerusers.com. Or we're on Twitter. The show is at macpowerusers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Mac Sparky. And Brett, what are you on Twitter? Uh, T.T. Scoff, S-C-O-F-F. All right. Is there a story behind that? I've never figured that out. Oh, it's... Uh, all right, short version. Um, my handle when I was running a BBS was Scofflaw. And then uh, when I was in a punk rock band and they wanted to give me a punk rock name, they suggested T.T. Monkey Boy. Hmm. And I said, no, let's go with T.T. Scofflaw. And that became my name on all the seven-inch records that we put out. And then I just shortened it when I got on Twitter. Funny how that stuff follows you around, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, th- and thanks to Smile for supporting the podcast. Uh, go check out PDF Pin for iPad, which is really an amazing PDF app on the iPad. Uh, Text Expander and all the other great stuff they make over at Smile Software. And uh, David, I'm not sure we really know what's next. We've got a couple of other things in the hopper based on uh, current events. We'll have to see what pans out. Uh, but a lot of good things in store, so stay tuned. See you next time.